0: Gardening Talk back with our gardening guru, Scotty Sharp is here. Good afternoon, mate. How are you, Scotty? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Walking iris. Take us through this today. What's this all about? It's
1: actually called, the botanical name mm. is Neomarica carulia.
0: Well done. Two points for you. I know. Latin. I, I, Latin 101. <laughs> and the good thing, that topic's been sitting in the pile for six months, so you've had plenty of time to learn it too. Let's be real here. The, that was actually a recording of me uh, after doing it about 17 <laughs> times, but uh, I can do it again
1: if you'd like. Near America, Corulia, indigo blue. Well done. Okay, it's a type of walking iris. They come from Mexico. Uh, so, yeah, it's funny that they've made their way over here. A lot of ocean between... Mm-hmm. I don't know how they got here, but... Uh, They didn't walk.
0: Okay, you wouldn't think so.
1: No, we'll leave that joke alone. But the great thing about these plants, really versatile. Uh, Look, they have a a strappy green iris-type leaf, but they have this incredibly dark sort of blue. I'm showing the picture here to Mark. He's Mm. going to agree with me. Yeah, let me have a quick look Uh, at that. I'll (laughs) give it to you in a little while just so you can have a closer look. Uh, It does have this really, really deep, deep blue flower. Uh, It's flowering uh, very soon, so a, a lovely plant to have in the garden. Uh, look, the, the great thing about the walking iris is that it does actually walk So new shoots come out of sort of the end of the leaf And then they go down and they take root And then they grow, you get flowers from them And they keep on moving And on the way they go yeah, yeah, so they clump out like that Watch out, otherwise you'll probably find one in the bedroom with you at, You know, <laughs> after a period of time But uh, they do flower for a, uh, a long, long time So they'll go right through from late spring, uh, right through into summer Uh, Look, they do like, uh, you know, being in the full sun. The only thing I'd say is probably just try and keep them out of that really hot, hot summer sun that we get here, you know, between one and three in the afternoon.
0: Now, that surprises me, considering the part of the world that that it flourishes in, being that that's a sort of hot, more climate, more around the year than we are. And you're saying the really hot sun, just give it a spell from that. Look,
1: I always say, uh, just try and keep a, uh, you know, most plants, if you can, you know, try and keep them out of that uh, really, really hot sun, unless they're a native. Or, or it'll su- walk away. <laughs> or it will walk away. Uh, put it, put on sunglasses and it'll leave the room. Uh, but look, yeah, just try and keep it out of those really, really, really hot conditions because it still is just a fine leaf plant. It's, it's not necessarily a, a native. Uh, just try and keep it well watered uh, during those uh, the summer months. Uh, and and uh, yeah, just really enjoy. That's, uh, a, well, I call it indigo blue walking iris. There are other walking iris out there with different colour flowers, uh, you know, purples and whites. But this one is, I think, the most striking with the really, really um, deep, deep blue coloured flower that it has.
0: Wayne from Elmore Vale. Wayne, you ha- there's a question from you on roses today. What's happening? Uh,
1: I bought some roses.
2: A couple of months back, they were in bags and whatnot, and I planted them, and they were growing lovely. They're still growing nice, but the, the, the leaves, as they come through, they're growing lovely, and then they go yellow.
1: Right, okay. So, Wayne, where did you plant them? In the, in the ground or into pots? Into pots. Into pots, okay. And you just used a you know, half-decent potting mix uh, for that?
2: Um, I got one that was yep, recommended good. by Yates. Yep. Okay, so. so a fairly
1: good quality one. That's great. Uh, now, look, where have you got them, Wayne? Are they out in the full sun at the moment? Yeah, at present they are, yeah. Great, okay. So they do need to be in the full sun. Roses love being in the full sun. Uh, now, you really need to be watering them quite often as well. They're in this growth phase at the moment, so they're using lots and lots of energy up, so uh, watering's really important. How often are you watering them, Wayne?
2: Well, I've got them sitting with a dish underneath, ah, and I just keep okay. filling the dish up. Yep. And and it goes through it in... Virtually a day. So.
1: Okay. I think we might have hit on the problem why you're starting to get some yellowing leaves there, Wayne. Too so much water. Yeah, they don't like sitting in, in uh, a saucer of water like that. They don't like having wet feet. They prefer to be well-drained. You uh, So they do like you know being watered quite often, but they like that to drain away. They don't want to be in soggy, sort of marshy conditions. So what you really do need to do now is either cut down on your watering a little bit or... Uh, I would be more inclined though to be watering more regularly, but get rid of that saucer from out underneath so it's not sitting in that uh, you know, those sort of marshy conditions.
2: All oh, right okay. Okay and, well... that's,
1: and that'll be exactly the reason um, that it's, it's yellowing off like that. Uh, roses also do like even if they're in pots, they're very heavy feeders, so they do need a fertilize uh, you know, about three times a year. There's a, a fantastic one called sudden impact. Uh, it's a slow-release yeah. fertilizer that you can go and get, and you just uh, there's a little measuring cup in there as well, and you can just sprinkle that around the top of the the rows, and it will feed the rows really nicely for you.
2: Okay, then. Well, thank you very much for
1: your help. Okay, and I'm glad we solved the, the, the first the... time I've tried to grow them so. Well, that's we'll, all learning curve. That's right. You just call us up whenever you need some help, Wayne, and we'll be uh, sure to
0: help out. It's funny. The, the thing, you, you don't know what you don't know, Scotty. And so, uh, like I said, a nice, fairly simple problem, at, at something you can be fixed and turned around just like that.
1: If you learn from your
0: mistakes, I'm getting a fantastic education. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good afternoon, Noel from Toronto. Uh, you have some citrus trees at the moment.
1: Yes, mate. Yeah. Uh, good afternoon, boys. How are you? Yeah, pretty well. What's going on with your citrus, Noel? Okay,
2: uh, Scott, um, they're just coming out in, um, in blooms, like in buds, that so yep. they haven't opened up yet. But also, naturally, you get a lot of new growth at this time of the year. You do, yes. So can I spray the new growth and the trees with white oil to eliminate the um, leaf miner or not while they're in bloom?
1: Well, you, look, you, you can. Uh, so when you say in bloom, you're just talking about new uh, leaf growth coming onto the plant?
2: And plus, they get the little white buds. The little white buds, have, yeah. They haven't opened
1: up as yet. Yeah, look, I think that's still okay to use either eco oil or white oil as a preventative. Yep. Uh, The sun's not really, really hot at the moment. So if the sun, you know, it was a really hot day, we had blazing sunlight and you've got new growth on a plant, I would say don't spray with uh, white oil because you're going to get a lot of burn on that. But at at this stage of the year, I think it's still pretty safe to be able to go out and spray preventatively with white oil. Um, Look, obviously leaving, you know, that new growth just to harden up a little bit is a good thing. Um, But I, I don't think at this time of year, it's going to be harmful doing that. Okay. I was just right it might have hurt the buds or something like that. No, look, it, it wouldn't do that. The only thing it would do, it, as I said, if we did have a lot of sunlight and heat, the white yeah, oil
0: would, would burn. But uh, otherwise, okay. no, it won't have any other effect. Gardening Talk back at 2 RFM with our gardening guru, Scotty Sharp. And, uh, Scotty, we're going to have a chat to John from Murrayweather. We had a pine tree problem, but as soon as we were ready to go, he, he just sort of said, no, hung up on us. God. I think it was a mistake. It was an accident. No, he wouldn't hang up on us. Deliberately, oh, so. no, absolutely not. So, look, uh, if you, like John, uh, have a question for a gardening guru this afternoon, 49216216, that is uh, the number to call. And just like that, it would appear that John is back. John Merriweather, how is your uh, pine tree going? What's going on there?
3: Oh, mate, I got cut off. I'm waiting to speak to you, <laughs> gentlemen, and I got cut off. Well, How are you, boys? All right?
1: Good, good. We know, we know you wouldn't have hit the, uh, the uh, dump switch on us, John.
3: Absolutely <laughs> not, Scott. Absolutely not. Scott, I've got a variety of uh, conifers, uh, and I've got one in particular. They're, a, for the lack of a better description, they're a, a, uh, maybe about uh, two metres high. They're not the fast-growing variety. But I noticed um, a week or so ago, I one of them is developing some uh, rusty appearance in in, in the foliage. Uh, What what should I be doing?
1: Yeah, okay. Look, conifers uh, are you know they they do right here in Newcastle, but they're they're not particularly suited to the coastal conditions and the you know the humidity that we we get, uh, especially you know as we go through January, March, uh, and into April. Yeah. So there you really do need to be you know sort of working on your conifers and, and acting preventative, preventatively to, to keep you know fungal disease under control right uh, so I mean that is a big problem they can also get borer in them as they get older and the bark starts to crack they get a canker in them as well uh, where you start to see the sap coming out and you see that browning off of the plant. But yeah. with some, some sort of general maintenance, you can actually, you know, have a, quite a successful uh, conifer hedge or, you know, just individual conifers in the yeah. garden here in Newcastle. Um, what you really do need to do is head off to your local garden centre and grab some copper oxychloride. It's, it's a fungicide. Right. And you just need to be preventatively spraying every now and again. You know, I'd say once a month um, as we go into the, you know, and as we okay. go into the humid times, even a little bit more often.
3: Okay, well, I, I actually did that, Scott, mm-hmm. uh, so, and uh, I, I didn't know whether I'd done the right thing or not. Hence why I thought I'd better ring up and just find out. So if I keep, keep that up to it for a couple of weeks and just see how it goes, eh?
1: See how that goes. That'll get rid of any fungal disease. Uh, yeah. How old are the plants, John?
3: Oh, they're not very old, mate. When I say not very old, I suppose they're um, about nine-year-old.
1: Okay, okay. Well, look, I, I would also sort of... Start to have, you know, make like Sherlock Holmes and get in there and have a look around the intersection of the branches and the trunk and see yeah. if you're getting getting any sap leaking out or any holes or sawdust in the plant around where you're seeing that browning. Uh, yeah. look, that might mean you've got borer or some canker um, getting into the plant and you need to treat that differently. Um, so with borer you actually need to try and spray uh, into those holes uh, just generally around the plant to try and keep it under control uh, you can use pyrethrum spray if you want to and let it soak into the cambium layer into the bark and go into the plant Right. Uh, so there's a, a couple of different things that you need to do about that uh, also make sure that it's well watered so that the, uh, the sap stream's flushing up through the plant and trying sure. to uh, get the uh, those borers out of it That's that's sort of a a natural way of trying to deal with it as well
3: all right scott thanks very much for that information i'll give it a burl and see how we go with it
1: that's fantastic john keep in touch and uh, let us know how
0: you go with it julie for valentine with your kangaroo paw good afternoon julie good afternoon how can we help you julie
4: um is it too late to maybe divide a kangaroo paw it's in the ground it's not in a pot
1: no, I think it'd be a perfect time to actually uh, do the kangaroo paw at the moment. Uh, hasn't heated up too much. You're going to damage the root system um, in that division. So uh, ground still moist, I think it'd be an ideal time to do it.
4: It does have a lot of flower stalks on it though.
1: Yeah, look, and that, and that okay. is the only downside with dividing at this point in time uh, in that those flowers are sure to, you know, die back and you just won't get the normal flowering. But it, I think as far as, you know, climate at the moment and, and moisture in the ground, it is the time to do it.
4: I thought so, but um, I thought when the flower stalks started coming up and they, I feel that they've come up quite early. I haven't, don't recall them coming up at this time of the year.
1: Yeah, I've seen a couple of kangaroo paws, uh, you know, in my travels around that have started flowering, uh, but it is a little early, as you said. Uh, I, I don't know why that's the case, why they've all of a sudden decided to, to you know, have a go. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe we could ask. Skip. And, and mine,
4: the one that <laughs> the clump that I've got there is, um, it's in the ground, but on the south side. There's the, alongside the carport, yes, and it's on the south side, so it doesn't get a lot of sun until. Maybe after two
1: o'clock this afternoon. Okay, well that, that's and- it's great that they're growing there because they really do like the full sun. So, mm-hmm. uh, but look, they are getting I guess the, the a lion's share of the sunlight uh, coming in after two o'clock. So uh, that's uh, that's not a bad spot for them. Uh, uh-huh. Look, the, the main thing is as well if you don't fertilise them, you know uh, the only thing you fertilise natives uh, like kangaroo paw. In fact, any natives really is native specific fertiliser. Awesome blood and bone, so you just have to be really careful about that, uh, and especially if you are going to divide, you just wouldn't uh, touch them with any fertiliser for uh, you know quite some time, probably about two or three months. All
0: right, thank you very much. All the best with that, Julie. Good afternoon, Keith at North Lambton. Uh, your question today on pollinating tomatoes. Yes, um, <clears throat> I
2: have a hell of a time with uh, fruit fly. Yes. And uh, I've tried all sorts of things, um, a little bit of success, but not much. Um, I've seen a documentary once, I think it was Rico's, up at Kempsey, Port mm-hmm. area. Uh, they grow grown in Lewis. now, and they fertilise fertilised them, they them.
1: How they how are they, uh, how are how they, they pollinating? Sort
2: the, of feather or something or what?
1: Yeah, look, and it, it may be that they're in there pollinating by hand um, with the oh, uh, the do tomatoes. That. Yeah, so I do, do it by hand. Yeah, so really, you need to be going around with a paintbrush uh, to do that, uh, yeah. and just uh, uh, just go to one flower, go you know onto the next one, and just keep on spreading the pollen around like that. That's the best way to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a very very fine net, and I want to put them in the kind of attempt this year, you know, and see if I can get a free the martyrs out of it. Yeah, fruit, um,
1: fruit fly can be really, really damaging. Uh, what have you been doing to try and counter it?
2: Oh, I tried that mixture with a Marmite and yep. all Vigemot, whatever it is, and quite uh, uh, a lot of traps and stuff. Mm-hmm. I collect quite a few, uh, well, I hope they're fruit flies, I hope they're not native bees. They look a little bit like a native bee to me, but I hope they're... Uh, Fruit fly only, and um, but I just seen this documentary. I thought, well, how the hell do they do it? But you wouldn't have think that they'd uh, uh, rickety go around on a paintbrush every single <laughs> porch for these.
1: Yeah, was, I, I, look, I, I'm not sure how they do that in those glasshouse situations, um, but uh, a
2: strong spray too, so they're allowed to do that. Uh, but uh, you wouldn't think so.
1: Yeah, look, I'm not sure how they do that, but
0: certainly you can just go around with a paintbrush if you've got a few plants and do it that way. All right, thank you very much, Keith. And good afternoon, I believe we have uh, Rob from East Maitland. Rob, you've got some great... No, he's he's uh, he's dropped out there. So We've been trying to get him for a little while, but he's popping I, out. I reckon I can probably help Rob, though. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, look, uh, Rob, he's got some grubs in his pot plants. What should he be doing? Yeah, I reckon he's going to have curl grubs in
1: his pot plants. Now, curl grubs are actually the, the pupa of the black beetle or the Christmas beetle. Uh, so you do need to drench. Well, there's two ways of getting rid of it. Um, one sort of the scorched earth policy mm-hmm. is to actually just get the plant out and replace the, the potting mix and completely repot it, uh, because they they can be quite difficult to get rid of. Uh, the other way is to uh, get a uh, a chemical a poison like carbaryl, for instance. Now we're not going to be spraying that around because it's you know not probably the best and you know chemical in the whole wide world out there because mm-hmm. harms bees etc. But what you are going to do with that carbaryl is mix it up in the watering can and drench that down through the soil of the pots, and that will get rid of the core
0: grub for you. A little bit more of Gardening Talk back with Scotty Sharp at 2NURFM 103.7, as we head to Halakalati, top of the Central Coast. Good afternoon, Jan. Potted Magnolia, what would you like to know with Scotty today?
5: Okay, thanks for a wonderful program. Um, It's about 12 years old, and I haven't moved it from its position for about seven years, and it's been flowering absolutely beautifully all over it's like a meter high out of the pot um but about a year ago or more i repotted it either last season or the season before and now it doesn't have as many flowers i've had only like five this time it goes to leaf very quickly is that something to do with sunlight or repotting it
1: yeah. So, Jan, did uh, well uh, first. What sort of magnolia have you got? Uh, is it the oh
5: sorry, selenia.
1: Ah, okay. So it's it's the one where it's out in flower at the moment. Uh, you have got the beautiful pink flowers on it. Loses its leaves again in winter. Yes. Yep. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. Look, they are a really beautiful plant. Uh, I'm. I'm. And have you moved the position that you had it in? Uh, you know, like the last seven years? Or is it... No. No, it's still in the same. Been in
5: the same position. Yeah.
1: Look, I reckon what it's going to be, you, the only variable you've had is that you've repotted it and changed that potting mix. And mm. and it might be that there's not enough potash in that uh, potting mix. It's just sort of missing something. You're saying it's got heaps of you know leaf on it at the moment or it's going to the leaf straight away. I think mm. what you really need to be doing is, oh, I'm just trying to do the old calendar count back here. You know, starting around May... I would be using some sulphate of potash and starting to water that down in in through the pot and into the soil, so that yes, I did all that.
5: Ah. I do that every year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Does
5: it flowers twice a year? Is that normal for them?
1: Well, you will get the main flowering at the moment, and and then you'll, you might get some spot flowering a little bit later on. But really, it's at this time of year is its main flowering period. Um, mm. Look, that's all I can really suggest to you is to be building up that sulphate of potash, uh, you know, from May, uh, you know, right through, you know, until this time of year. It's not something you uh-huh. can just use, you know, like two weeks ago or a month ago and hope that it's going to do the job for you. It's something that needs to, to build up so that the the new, um, you know, material that comes onto the plant at this time it has plenty of potash and it can form those really nice big flowers for you. Again, okay.
5: right. Thank okay. you so much. Not a problem. And, uh, I've got a lemon tree. Yes. It's out my um, on-site caravan, and um, it's in the Awabah National uh, State Forest, and um, there's wallabies there. And when I bought the, the van about two, three years ago, it was full of leaves. Now all the leaves are just being eaten by something all the time. Would
1: that be the wallaby? Oh look, I, I think it could be. Uh, mm. I'm not a kangaroo wallaby expert myself, but <laughs> I, I reckon if you're just getting a lot of you know damage to the plant, that's most probably what it's going to be. It's it tastes different. It's just uh, you know a little bit unusual. They'll have a crack at it. Possums also um, will do that for you. Um. Yeah, look, if it was the hotter hotter months, you know, I'd say grasshoppers, but uh, at the moment it's
0: going to be a a larger animal like the possum or the wallaby. All right, best of luck with all of that, Jan, as we we were about to head to um, our next call but it looks like they have dropped off. well they're coming back so while that uh, is all sorted out Scotty it's, uh, it's been that sort of day mate we've had uh, all sorts of different things on gardening topic today. Drop,
1: drop ins drop outs I was actually going to have a quick mention about white louse scale okay yeah it's out and about at the moment uh, most people would have uh, pruned their roses or hopefully pruned their roses by now and you'd spray with uh, lime sulfur to get rid of the louse scale it's like just a little white dots you get down the, the trunk of the plant you also get it on citrus as well Um, so you can use white oil to keep that under control, Uh, if you're very careful you can use the lime sulphur on the trunk of your uh, citrus tree as well but you've got to be careful, if it hits the foliage uh, it will burn, so you just have to be careful about that, but uh, white louse scale, get rid of it with some lime sulphur or some clear white oil
0: Alright, thanks Scotty, last up today Amanda at Ellie Barna, good afternoon Amanda, Grevillea is on your mind today
4: It sure is, yes Um, I wanted to plant some grevilleas and um,
5: where I'm going to plant them, we've got a really heavy clay soil and I heard you tell a man once the reason why he wasn't doing well with his grevilleas was because of the clay and I wondered whether there was anything, you know, um, one that is a little bit more conducive to, to that environment as well as improving the soil.
1: How big did you want that uh, Grevillea hedge or well, whatever you're getting to? Look, to grow I really
5: to? just want it just to encourage birds into the yard, that's,
1: yeah, that's- right. Number one. Okay, great idea. Um, look, the, the graviolas don't like heavy clay soil, as yeah. as you said. Uh, they just don't like wet feet. But the thing about graviolas is, is they don't have an enormous root system, so you can you know get around the problem. You can dodge the problem somewhat by digging a bigger hole for the plant and yeah. putting some better soil in there, and then just generally you know breaking up the soil around it. You know, and adding some gypsum in there. You can also get liquid gypsum as well, which does a fantastic job. Okay. You can also build up uh, as well. So you can dig, you know, your hole. You can break up as much as you can. Get some good soil in there, some gypsum, and then build up a little mound, and plant your grevillea there. At least you're giving it a great head start and the yeah. ability to, you know, spread its root system out a little bit. Now, the reason I was asking about, uh, you know, how big or did, yeah, yeah. Um, for that very reason, you can get like a, a smaller growing grevillea like Robin Gordon. You still get the beautiful...
4: Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. You still get the beautiful flowers on the grevillea.
3: Yep.
1: Um, but... Because it's not a huge plant, you're not going to get a big deep root system spreading down. So if you go for the, you know, the larger ones like Moonlight or Sandra Gordon, which are a much much taller plants, you're going to have to deal with a bigger root system. So you're going to have to to dig out and uh, put a lot more gypsum in there. So try the smaller ones, uh, Amanda.
0: All right, best of luck with that, Amanda. Scotty, we've run out of time. So great calls today, and uh, as always, thank you for your insight on the program. And thank you. And thank, I won't have you next week. It's no, look, everyone shifts back to normal, so you'll have Greg back next Monday. So uh, that'll be that'll be great as well. I'm not displeased, but I'll be sad to see you go. <laughs> all right, Scotty's off to the movies tonight. He's off to Top Gun, so we we'll are interested to see how that goes, mate. You'll love it. Uh, another Gardening Talk back same time next week.
1: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.